Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello everyone, and welcome back to New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast. I'm your host, Crawford Gribben, and today my guest is Tim Perry. Tim's an adjunct professor of theology at St. Paul University in Ottawa and at Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. We're talking to Tim today about a new book he's just edited, The Theology of Benedict XVI, A Protestant Appreciation. This book's just been published by Lexham Press in 2019. Tim, congratulations on the book and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Crawford. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. Before we talk about the book, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a, a PhD from uh, University of Durham. I uh, graduated in 1996. And uh, I came back to Canada. I taught for about 10 years. In uh, 2011, I left academia to uh, work in the parish and uh, did uh, full-time until just a couple of years ago when my father fell ill with uh, stage four colon cancer. Uh, at that point, I moved back to my hometown with my family to help care for him. And uh, I now work at a funeral home, actually, but uh, keep my foot in the uh, publishing world with this project and a couple other irons in the fire and uh, and my adjunct positions at St. Paul and, uh, and Trinity. But my, my day job, I actually am a funeral director. Well, I, I'm sure it's where the rubber hits the road in terms of theology, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Good. Well, listen, Tim, you're busy and we appreciate your time and thanks for coming on to the show to share your work. Um, you, obviously, you, you've had you've had a long and established academic career before your current position. Uh, one, one of your previous books was called Mary for Evangelicals. What was the, what was the background to that book? In, in part, it was personal. Um, I grew up in, a, in a, the Wesleyan Church. Um, I, I don't know if that if that has a very large uh, European footprint, but it's it's a small uh, denomination in the Methodist family uh, over here in North America, and uh, that had you know had, it, it kind of inherited the the traditional anti-Marian Reformation polemics. Uh, but my dad's family, uh, apart from my grandfather, are all uh, French Roman Catholic, so obviously. Uh, you know, when, when we would go to uh, to funerals for, for great aunts or great grandparents or weddings for cousins, um, there's a whole new uh, kind of Christianity that was not part of my formation at all. So there's always a, a personal element uh, going on there. Um, part of it also was a, a desire to a desire, I guess, to, to clarify precisely in my own mind um what uh, needed to be said about Mary uh, as uh, an evangelical Protestant, uh, where uh, the the points of neuralgia or theological disagreement actually lay. Uh, and in 2004, I had my first sabbatical coming up, and and uh, uh, I pitched uh, that project to my department, and uh, the project was granted, and it went from there. Very good. And that project, Mary for Evangelicals, in some way 
is a thematic background for a lot of what you and the other contributors do in this book, The Theology of Benedict XVI. So what is the background to this particular project we're talking about today? Uh, This book really came to me as a gift. Um, Like I said, I'd I'd left uh, the parish and it looked like I'd left the academy uh, behind um, when Lexham Press came to me. Uh, I'm blessed to have, you know, former students kind of dotted all over the place. And one of them works for Lexham Press. Um, He phoned me and uh, told me that he and another former student of mine, who's now uh, a suffragan bishop of the Arctic in the Anglican Church of Canada, uh, they'd had a conversation and decided that uh, a book about Benedict uh, needed to be written by Protestant theologians and uh, that it needed to be edited by me. Um, so I, I was very surprised to get that phone call. And my, my first answer was actually to refuse. Um, but, uh, Lexham persisted and I relented and it kind of, it went from there. Uh, once we kind of fleshed out what we wanted the book to accomplish, we started, uh, contacting people and uh, I was, uh, I was, and I remain really, really pleasantly surprised at how easy it was to get uh, top people um, to agree to participate in the project. Uh, of, of all the people we contacted, I think only three or four uh, were unable to agree. Um, most agreed enthusiastically. Uh, one, uh, Professor Catherine Sonderegger, she's in the middle of writing a major three-volume systematic. Her first reply to me was simply, of course, send me the details, Catherine. Uh, and, it, and that kind of reception uh, was was common. And I was really, really pleasantly surprised by that. Uh, it made me think, you know, we were on to something uh, important. Um, the only really sad part of compiling the, uh, the book was that one of our contributors uh, actually died um, before he could complete uh, his essay. And so we, we had to find another a contributor at the end, and we we dedicated uh, the book to his memory. It's Professor Daniel Westberg of Nashota House, and uh, D- Daniel Westberg is commemorated in a very fittingly presented uh, page at the very beginning of the book, uh, isn't he, Tim? Um, yes. um, and uh, actually, that 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 dedication page in its uh, really extraordinary uh, invocation of Renaissance. Um, uh, page formatting and so on, uh, speaks to the incredible care and attention that have gone into every aspect of the design of this book. It's one of the, one of the most beautifully designed theology books I think I've ever seen. I, I certainly think so too. Um, I, I don't have an artistic bone in my body, uh, but I am really, really grateful for uh, the work that the uh, artistic team at Lexham have put into this book. It really is a beautiful book. I'm proud to have my name on it. Tim, why was it so easy for you to get so many of these A-list Protestant theologians involved in the project? What is it about Benedict that speaks not just to the Catholic world in which he's a leader, but also to so many theologians outside that world? What makes him special? Well, I think it speaks to his stature, um, not simply as Pope, but as uh, a theologian, um, really for the last 50 years. Um, he was uh, a major uh, theological contributor behind the scenes 
at the Second Vatican Council with the, the uh, German delegation. Um, it was there that the, the well-known um, uh, relationship uh, with Karl Rahner began. You might call them frenemies. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, from, from Vatican II, up, really up till uh, his, uh, his resignation, um, Joseph Ratzinger, uh, Benedict XVI, has been involved in every major theological controversy in the Catholic Church, uh, you know, revolving around um, ecumenical dialogue, uh, the implementation of uh, the documents of Vatican II, the interpretation of the documents of Vatican II uh, as the head of the uh, CDF, the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith. Um, you know, he's responsible for, um, uh, you know, protecting uh, the church from, from heresy. I mean, he's he's been at the center of all the major theological developments. So he, he simply is uh, a theologian who has to be reckoned with in the history of Christian theology. He's a, he's also an individual who has very pronounced opinions, doesn't he, on lots of subjects? And the, the book the, the book does a great job of of working through many of those and showing why they're controversial, both within the Catholic world but also outside it. And I suppose one of the, one of the most striking things about Benedict's uh, view of um, non Catholic Christians and non Orthodox Christians uh, is his refusal to think of them as participating in churches per se. Yeah, uh, you know, we, we are members of uh, ecclesial communities. Um, our communion in the church is uh, real but imperfect. We are, uh, you know, we share in a, in a common baptism, but uh, we do not share in the altar. Uh, and because we don't share in the altar and, and, and cannot because of fundamental uh, doctrinal disagreements, um, we exist in, in impaired communion. And he's... Uh, He's straightforward about that. I think one of the reasons why uh, some of the contributors uh, like working with uh, Benedict is uh, he, he enables us to, to really clarify, you know, where, where the disagreements are. Um, Carl Truman, uh, I think Carl Truman's essay is, is particularly uh, uh, directed toward this this point, you know, it's provocatively entitled "Is Is the Pope a Roman Catholic?" And uh, the answer uh, for Professor Truman with Benedict is yes. Um, Benedict makes it really clear uh, where um, other Christians uh, disagree and and why, in his view, um, uh, we're in error. Um, and you know, Professor Truman and and I, I take that as as kind of re refreshing. Actually, um, it enables us to have uh, frank conversations. Um, in his in his uh, blurb uh, endorsing the book, uh, Archbishop Chapu um, said he was surprised at how you know we could be both frank and fraternal. Uh, but I think in, in many ways we're we're simply just uh, uh, reflecting. Um, what's been given by Benedict? He's he's not dismissive, uh, you know. He's not condescending, but he's really clear that uh, there are points of disagreement, and uh, and you know where there are points of disagreement, we're the ones who are wrong. Um, so, you know, his his ecumenism, 
and I think it is a real ecumenism, is is certainly more hard-headed. It's, it's not about um, softening the language in order to uh, allow for as broad uh, a tent as possible. It's about stating as clearly and precisely, uh, uh, you know, dogmatic and doctrinal convictions, um, stating them forcefully so that, you know, we can um, uh, hopefully, I, th- I think, work towards the truth. Now, you mentioned Carl Truman there as one of the, the authors that you have in your roster, uh, Tim, and, and certainly his chapter was one of the standouts, I think, uh, as I read through this material, a, a book of many excellent essays, um, with, with one or two, I think, that, that really um, uh, got, got to the heart of things in, in a very significant way, I think. It, it's not, uh, the, the subtitle is A Protestant Appreciation. It's not a celebration of Benedict, is it? it it's, it's more than that. Well, I, I hope we're not fawning. Um, and that was the, the one thing I really wanted to avoid. Um, some people have asked if the authors were constrained in any way by editorial requirements, and, and they weren't. Um, the, the only, the way I, the way I pitched their essays to them was to say simply, you know, you're writing an essay on what a Protestant might learn from Benedict on your subject. Um, so it's it's about sketching areas of agreement to be sure, um, but it's it's not a, it's it's not at all fawning. Uh, in my own essay, for example, I uh, acknowledge you know some avenues of criticism that you know had had space permitted, we could have gone further down. Um, and I, I think all the authors, uh, you know, certainly we have a, a couple of uh, uh, Anglican priests uh, who are are women. Certainly, you know. Um, they would want to uh, to have some some serious uh, conversations in disagreement with Benedict over the nature of holy orders. Um, so it's it's not a fawning book, but it, it is it is a book uh, offered, I think, as as a gift to Benedict for for the way in which he speaks to all Christians. Uh, and I think it's 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 a book that suggests that you know Protestants uh, can uh, learn a great deal. Um, by paying attention to what uh, Benedict has written over the course of his long career. You've mentioned, Tim, a couple of your contributors. Who else is involved in the project, and how did you decide to structure their contributions? It became clear early on that that Ben Myers, who's an Australian theologian, uh, Ben's essay really captured the whole project. Um you know, it's it's Ben's conviction in his essay on faith and reason that uh, Pope Benedict uh, writes from the deep conviction that Christian faith is rational. Uh, and that really became the foundational essay for the whole project. And so it's it's the lead essay uh, on purpose. Um, from there, we, we moved into to part one, uh, dogmatic theology. Um, Catherine Sonderegger. Uh, notes, you know, uh, the theme of secularity as a common theme in uh, in Ratzinger's work, in Benedict's work, and particularly a theme that revolves around his conviction that um, secularity and secularism really is the backdrop uh, now for for modern theology. We have uh, Greg Allison, a Baptist theologian, writing on the theological virtues. Uh, Kevin Van Hoosen, Van Hooser, rather, excuse me, on uh, on uh, revelation and interpretation, 
um, Luke Stamps on theological anthropology, uh, Chris Holmes, uh, a former colleague of mine, but now uh, in New Zealand, uh, writing on uh, on Christology, my own essay on Mary. We're really trying to, to just basically cover um, the high points of the of the creed, the you know the the Apostles' Creed that we that we all share. Uh, Fred Sanders uh, on the Trinity, and we have Carl uh, Truman's essay on ecumenism, and uh, David Nay's essay on uh, on orders. Then the part two of the book, uh, we look at at liturgical theology. Uh, Peter Lighthart, uh, he's always I don't, I don't know what kind of a reputation he has uh, on your side of the Atlantic, but on ours, he's always has a reputation for being a bit of a controversialist. Um, his essay on uh, on Ratzinger and the liturgy, I think, is the is really one of the most provocative essays uh, in the collection and certainly at a couple of points is the funniest. Uh, uh, so I, I you know, it, it's not to say it's, it's not academically rigorous. It, it is. But there are just some genuinely humorous points. Uh, my former student, uh, Bishop Joey Royal, uh, writing on the Eucharist, um, Annette Brownlee on uh, preaching. Uh, Preston Parsons on prayer and uh, Jonathan Warren on catechesis. Uh, so the, the goal was, was to present Ratzinger not simply as an academic theologian, uh, but an academic theologian who really is concerned about Christianity lived in a specific context. And so we, we moved quite deliberately from, uh, dogmatic, uh, matters. Um, into more uh, uh, liturgical and, and ethical ones. Uh, and I, you know, I think, as, as I say in, in my introduction, uh, I think, you know, there, there, there's a time uh, coming when, you know, traditionally minded Protestants and Catholics uh, will have to, you know, to use the words of the old American revolutionary, uh, will have to hang together or will all hang separately. Um, and so I, I think, you know, exploring areas of agreement uh, uh, rather than simply rehearsing, uh, the, you know, all the disagreements, I think, might be a way uh, to begin those kinds of conversations. Now, Tim, if, if I could just pick out a few of the, 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 the many rich chapters that this book contains. Ben Meyer's contribution of faith and reason, I think, was very striking as I read mm. through this book, especially a statement on page 20 where he says that Benedict's sense is that secular modernity needs not so much more faith as more reason, a stronger emphasis yep. upon reason. Yep. Obviously a paradox. What's he getting at? Well, I, th I think he's getting at, you know, what uh, Ratzinger himself called the, you know, the dictatorship of relativism. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the idea that, um, uh, you know, you be you. Uh, and uh, what's true for you is not what's true for me. Uh, and, um, you know, if if uh, if science uh, helps you become who you really wish to be, then, you know, make your arguments from science. If science doesn't help you become who you really want to be, then, you know, forget about it. Uh, uh, Benedict insists that uh, human beings across cultures, confessions, histories have been endowed by their creator uh, with reason. Uh, God has made the world in such a way that it can be known. 
And God has uh, designed our minds in such a way as to know the world that he's created. And this is something that actually transcends um, all the divisions that we erect between human beings uh, uh, and, and so can be a way uh, of, uh, of fostering, I think, greater human solidarity, greater, you know, fostering, I think, more, more productive, uh, more productive conversations. Um, so, you know, where, where Benedict sees, I think, in contemporary uh, Western culture, for sure, a, a growing kind of tribalism, uh, a, uh, a loss of confidence in uh, reason's ability to arrive at truth. Um, a, a really deep skepticism as to whether uh, especially moral truth even exists or whether there's only power. Uh, and, you know, Benedict calls us back to the deep conviction that uh, reason is um, uh, reason is something we've all been given. It's a gift of common grace uh, and that, uh, you know, Christian faith is a rational faith. Um this is not to say that, you know, the truths of Christian faith are all discoverable by reason. Some are, uh, but uh, they're not all discoverable, but they're all, you know, uh, capable of, of proposition, um, capable of defense uh, in rational ways. Um, and so, you know, I, I think uh, I think for me, the really provocative part of, of Ben's essay was, you know, when he when he quotes uh, Luther. Um, right at the beginning, you know, and Luther says, uh, you know, if, if I alone have the word of God, then I alone am, am the church and I will judge the world accordingly. Um, there is something consonant in that view with Benedict's own conviction that Christianity is true and can be rationally defended as true and that human beings are uh, reasonable and rational beings and, and can be appealed to in that way. And this, I suppose, takes us very neatly into Kevin Van Hooser's chapter on Scripture and its proper interpretation. Uh, obviously, Benedict wants to root his arguments and ideas in the sense of, of the word. Um, what's his approach to biblical interpretation and how important is that for him in his project? Benedict, from early on, uh, wanted to be a theologian of the fathers and the Bible. Um, I think that's a conviction that runs all the way through, uh, his work. And so he's, he is, uh, you know, there's kind of a clear, uh, break with, you know, the, the neo-Thomists like Karl Rahner, uh, for example, uh, with whom, uh, Benedict, uh, was, was at Vatican, the Second Vatican Council. Um, so the Bible is, is central. Uh, in uh, Benedict's way of theologizing. Um, and that's obviously uh, and immediately going to appeal to, uh, I, th I think, traditionally minded Protestants. This is not to say, you know, that um, Benedict's a, a, a closeted uh, Lutheran. He, he's not. Um, but there, there is, a, you know, in over the last 50 years, there, there is an, an interesting kind of rapprochement um, uh, over notions of revelation. Um, Benedict clearly, you know, as a, as a Catholic, um, believes, uh, scripture and tradition in a, and their relationship in a peculiarly Catholic way. Um, as a Protestant, I don't share that conviction. Uh, and yet 
Um, over the last 50 years, um, you know, growing numbers of, of Protestants have come to uh, acknowledge that their own reading of Scripture is historically conditioned. Uh, and so we have to be aware of that traditioning process that's at work uh, as we read. Um, and, and so um, our way of, of reading, act, the actual practice of reading, ends up looking quite, fa quite familiar, uh, quite similar to, to something that, that, that Benedict's doing. Um, one of the things that, that struck me when I was reading his lectures on Mary um, was, you know, how he read the Old Testament in a way that would have made complete sense to my grandmother. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, my, my dour Northern Irish Methodist husband was an Orangeman grandmother. Um, she, she read, she would read the Old Testament in, in a way very similar to Benedict, you know, looking for, uh, looking for Jesus hidden in, in the stories, looking for, uh, typology, looking for, uh, even sometimes allegories so that they, in, in our actual reading of the scriptures, there was there was a really interesting to me similarity that sometimes our de doctrinal debates over scripture and tradition uh, seem to obscure. Uh, but but Benedict is certainly a biblical theologian and a theologian of the fathers, particularly Augustine. Uh, and so um, uh, that's uh, that's obviously uh, an area where there's there's going to be, I think, a, a opportunity for really, really fruitful conversations. Well, Tim, one of the things, one of the themes that uh, seemed to crop up in a number of the contributions was Benedict's sense of the future of Christianity. What does that look like in his mind? Benedict really was the first theologian that I know of who grasped just how deeply godlessness was a factor in Western modernity. And so... His conviction, really from early on in his career, uh, is that um, Western churches were heading for really, really rough waters. One of the things that I find interesting about that is uh, how different it was from his, his papal predecessor, uh, Pope St. John Paul II, who wanted to speak of, you know, a new springtime. Uh, for Christianity and new evangelization. Uh, Benedict did not share that view, uh, I don't think. Um, as early as 1958, uh, in an essay entitled New Pagans in the Church, uh, Benedict was warning that at the time, at that time, you know, the, the full post-war churches represented a hollowed out Christendom that was about to collapse. Uh, and I think you know, the last 50 years has shown him to be right. So when in 1969 he spoke of a smaller church, uh, shorn of its privileges, um, pushed to the margins, uh, you know, you read those words now, 50 years on, and you think, boy, that's, that's a really prophetic insight into the nature of uh, secular modernity in the West. And, um, for me, anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to put words in the mouths of any of the other contributors. But for me, that makes Benedict someone I need to pay attention to. He saw that coming way before a lot of other Christian leaders did. 
Well, Tim, that, that, that's a good observation to end our discussion on today. Um, we've taken up a lot of your time, but before we wind up our conversation, could you tell us what you're working on at the moment? Uh, I've just finished a little essay on evangelical responses to Vatican II. Uh, it'll be coming out in 2021 in the Oxford Handbook. And uh, right now I'm actually working on a little book also for Lexham uh, on death, dying, and the Christian funeral. So kind of uh, grim for this time of year anyway, but that's that's uh, what I'm working on right now. Well, that sounds like a great project. Tim, thank you very much for editing this book, The Theology of Benedict Sixteenth, a Protestant appreciation just published by Lexham Press. And thanks for coming on to the show to talk about it. Thanks for your time and take care. Thanks very much, Crawford. Take care. And thank you to everyone else for listening in today. I'll see you next time on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast.